I'm Matt Lehman, and you're listening to Django Riffs. We talk about Django, the Python web framework that will help you build your next web app. Let's get to the topic for this episode. Episode 10, User Auth. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Django Riffs. On this episode, we're going to look at working with users, and we're going to talk about tools that Django gives you for identifying users and checking that those users are permitted to do the things that you want them to do on your website. On the last episode, we talked about Django applications as this core component of a Django project. We talked about their structure, we talked about why they're significant, and we talked about why apps benefit the Django ecosystem as a tool for sharing code. But we're going to turn our attention to users this time around. And before we do that, we need to talk about a couple of important concepts. These concepts are authentication and authorization. They're two concepts that are tightly coupled to users, and they're very important for this topic for today. Authentication is a topic about proving who a user is. The idea behind authentication is the user identifies themselves with some form of both the claim of who they say they are, as well as proof of that. Most commonly, you'd see that in some kind of password authentication. But that kind of idea of you say you are this, and we believe you because you have the proof to go along with it. So that's all authentication does, though. It proves that a user is who they say they are. There's another aspect of working with users on a web application that is also really important, and it's called authorization. And authorization answers the question of what is a user allowed to do? Authorization is designed to answer that question and determine from an identity, so after you've authenticated an individual, decide what they can do on your site and control their permissions there. We're going to go over the Django auth system. The auth system covers both authentication and authorization because they're similarly named and uh, gives you these features out of the box as a contributed package. So first, let's talk about the setup of that process. Thankfully, this part is really pretty straightforward, especially if you have run the start project command to start your Django project. If that's the case, you're already done. The Django start project command scaffolds you with all of the pieces that you need to get going, and you don't even have to think about the setup. However, I do want to tell you what those bits of setup are so that if you're looking over your configuration later, you can point to them and say, oh, okay, that's where that comes from. The way this works is by adding a couple of built-in Django applications. Remember that the Django built-in applications are found in the Django contrib package. And so the two apps that Django adds with start project by default are Django contrib auth and a secondary package called Django contrib content types which is actually something that the auth package depends upon. So we have to include that dependency as well. In addition to the applications that are part of the auth setup, you also need a couple of middleware classes. And we haven't talked about middleware yet, and we will in the next episode. But for now, know that your middleware list, which is something that exists in your settings file as middleware, will have session middleware and authentication middleware. And these two things kind of work hand in hand with each other to make sure that your users can be worked with on your site. 
Django provides documentation about all of these prerequisites that you can check out on the Django project website. And I will link to the documentation in the show notes for this episode. Who authenticates? That's the question we want to answer when it comes to authentication and identity. And what does that even look like in a Django system? How does Django know who people are? Know who users are, I guess. The identity of users is done in the auth system with a model that's appropriately named. It is the user model. And this model stores information that you likely want to associate with your users. Fields that are like the name of a person, their email address, um, some date times, but when they've joined your site or when they have logged in, there's a handful of Boolean fields for some checking that we'll talk about later. And there's information with the default user model about password data. It's not the passwords themselves, so don't don't freak out if you're already a security conscious person. Uh, the passwords aren't directly stored in that model, but there is password information that we'll talk to in a minute as well. The user model is really, really important in a lot of applications. Unless you have a website that is purely public, purely a consumer that has no kind of user experience, it's very likely that you will use the user model in your Django app. And even if you are writing a site that you don't expect people to log in, maybe it's a new site or some kind of consumer-based site that does not require user customization, there's still a good chance that you're going to use the user model because you might be using the Django admin. And if you're using the Django admin, it depends upon having users that can log in. So the user model and the auth system comes into play for that scenario. The admin uses a couple of attributes that are on the user model. Namely, it uses the if staff attribute that distinguishes a user from a regular user in the system to someone who's considered part of your staff, part of your team. And if that Boolean is set to true, that individual will be able to log into the admin site. So now we understand that authentication as a user model that is used as the backing storage for information about our users, but we haven't really explained how Django takes that model and that data and links the user to it. So let's look at that next. We're going to talk about authenticating with passwords. This is the basic form of authentication that comes with Django, and there are other forms that we'll talk about, but this is the one that we'll start with. When a user comes to your site, typically they will go to some sort of login page. There is a login view that Django provides. It's a class-based view that can help you out with this process, and that login view as a username and a password field on, on the form that it will create. And under the covers, what that thing is going to do is call a function. And that function is called authenticate, and it is located in the Django contrib auth package. The function takes the username and the password to confirm who that individual is who they claim to be. So the login view takes that information, and, and if the user correctly authenticates and Django accepts that, then the user will be redirected to a setting that is called login redirect URL, which is a path for where they should go. Or if there is a query string parameter called next in it, then it will send them to that URL instead. If the authentication fails, the form will re-render and there will be appropriate error pages. 
But if we left it at that, that's kind of mysterious. What does authenticate actually do? The authenticate function works by delegating the checking of the user's credentials to an authentication backend. Like we've seen with many other parts of Django, the system is designed to be pretty modular, and there are different backends that can be done for auth, just like we've seen engines for templates and, and so on, and, and different database engines as well. Here's another example of something that is swappable in your configuration. Auth is one of those systems. So what Authenticate the function does is it will loop through any auth backends that you have set. And the auth backends is another setting that can be controlled in your settings file, and it defaults to a certain backend that we're going to discuss. But the flow is typically to authenticate with a user, and if it authenticates correctly, it's going to return a user instance, a user record. If it doesn't authenticate and it returns none, then the backend will go on to the next backend. That's how Django will handle it. And if the backend actually raises an exception that says, no, permission denied, that's the exception, then no other backends are going to be tried. So those are the three major states that an authentication backend has to handle when it gets called. And that is how Django will act appropriately to decide whether a user is even permitted to log into your site or not. So the reason for having multiple authentication backends is that there's a lot of schemes to do authentication. User and password is a common scheme that exists out there, but there's other ways to do this. For instance, you might have a social login where somebody logs in with a popular social media website that provides those kind of capabilities and you go in through that channel. Or you might have a more corporate setting where you have a single sign-on and there's a bunch of technologies out there like uh, OpenID Connect or uh, SAML. And these are more enterprise-y kind of options, but they exist to do this ability to authenticate and identify users. We're going to focus only on the one that comes with Django, though, because once you understand the authenticate flow, adding other modes of authenticating is really a question of the functionality that you want to add to your site. The authentication backend that Django uses by default is called the model backend. And it's called the model backend because it uses the user model to authenticate. And the way it works is it takes the username that's provided from the authenticate function and it looks for a user. And if it finds a user record in the database, it then takes the password that is provided. And remember, this is the actual password that the user has submitted through a form. So it's the real data. It's not being stored anywhere, but it's passing through the system to be checked against. The model backend has to take that password and do something with it in order to check if the user and the password go together. The way it does that is with a hash. So I said earlier that the user model doesn't actually store the password. That would be really not smart because if your database ever was leaked or if you ever had some security flaw and you were storing raw passwords from all your users, then you're going to leak all of that information out into the, into the wild and you're going to have a bunch of unhappy users on your hands. So what Django does instead is a system where it takes the password and creates a hash out of it. Maybe you've never encountered a hash before, so let's talk a little bit about what it means to store a hash and why this actually works. 
So a hash is a computed value. If you take a certain kind of function and receive input data, then a hashing function can generate a, another value out of it. It's a derived value. And the format of that can vary by different hashing functions. But the idea behind it is that for a given input value, it should return the same output value every time. But the key property of hashes is that it's not possible to do that in reverse. You can't take a hash and figure out a user's password from the hash alone. And I think you can see that this is a really good property because once you have that property in place, then no matter how many hashes are stored on your website, it's really impossible to go back and leak the user's real password. In practice, what does this mean? It means that the login view, the, the authenticate function, the, the model backend that actually does the handling of the password, it can take your password from a user, and if it wants to find out if the user is passing in the right information and proving that they are who they say they are, then it's going to take the user's input password and it's going to run it through the same hashing function. And if we store the hash in the user model, which is exactly what the user model does, and compare the hash that is received uh, by computing that value when the user submits their form to the hash that is already stored in the database from when they created their account, we can check that those two hashes match. And if the hashes match, then we can conclude that the person submitted the correct password because no other passwords are going to match to that hash. Hashing is a big subject. It's got a lot to it. There's a lot that I'm kind of glossing over because we're talking about user auth today. But you can go learn more about hashes and how Django does hashing. There's a, it's a pretty involved topic, and I'll link to those in the show notes as well. So that's how you do authentication. And it's the general way of seeing it. They've got the authenticate function that passes on to backends. And if the backend says this is a legit person that has an account here and returns a user record, then everything moves along smoothly. Are you expected to actually call authenticate yourself? Thankfully, no. Thankfully, there are tools that help you do this. I mentioned earlier that there's the login view that does this call for you and, and redirects the user on your behalf. But there are also some other views that Django comes with, and these views help set up a basic scheme for dealing with users and login, because it's more than just a login view. There's also the ability to log out, and what happens when a user needs to change their password? There are views for that. What happens when a user would like to reset their password because they forgot it? There are views for that as well. So Django includes all of these, and the way to get them is by a, an include. And so if we have our project urls.py file, then you would do your standard imports that you'd expect. You'd have from Django URLs, import, include, and path. And you have your URL patterns list. And in my show notes, I've alighted some of the other paths that might be there. But you call path, and you give it some path that you want to have. So in this example, I've got the string of accounts slash and then the second attribute to path is a call to include. And it's going to be include with a string value of Django contrib auth URLs as its first parameter. By doing that, you have included all of these views that Django comes with and 
you didn't have to do any of the development behind it. Now, if you use those, it's not going to look like your website right away. So you're going to have to style them at least to make them fit with whatever scheme you have on your site, whatever style and design. And there's documentation for that as well. So for instance, you would create a template uh, named registration slash login.html if you're trying to change the way that the login view works. And I will link as well to the documentation on where you can go to look up those templates. Sometimes though, the built-in system from Django isn't enough. And you might want to seek out some alternative uh, solution. And so I'm going to recommend a package that I think is really powerful, really customizable, and does some things that I really love, which is why it's become a go-to tool for my toolbox. So even though Django comes with some stuff and might be great for smaller projects, there are features from this particular Django package that I'm going to recommend that I think make it worth adding to your app. And this package is called Django All Auth, and it does quite a bit. A big part of what it does is social authentication. So if you wanted to hook up to the Google or Facebooks or Twitters of the world, you can do that and provide the appropriate login buttons there. And it has tools that take away all the details of how to do that and wraps them up in its own code. And there are other things that it provides as well. I particularly like it because it gives me tools to create sign-up pages without me having to think about it. It's got some settings that control uh, various aspects so that if I would rather use email addresses instead of usernames, for instance, then I can use that instead of the standard login view. And there's all sorts of other settings that are cool, and it's really worth checking out. So go, go check out Django Auth as an alternative way to do authentication with Django. And to finish it off, Django Auth works by using a different kind of authentication backend. That's really a pretty simple integration in my experience. We have authenticated users at this point. What are they allowed to do? That's the next thing that we're going to focus on. There are a number of things that we can use to determine if a user can do something on your site. Some of them come directly from the user model. There are a few Boolean fields that I mentioned, and we'll spell them out. One of them on the user model is called is authenticated. And so if you have a visitor coming to your site, they will be represented as a special kind of user in your system and a class that is known as an anonymous user. And an anonymous user has the is authenticated attribute set to false. So they are not authenticated. Once your user logs in and they become a real user instance, then the is authenticated attribute will now return true. And you can use this to your advantage. Django provides a login required decorator that you can add to your function views, and there's a similar decorator for class-based views, and that will allow you to gate and control who can see authenticated pages or not. That's the kind of simplest scheme that you can have for saying, can this person see this or not? And the use case that you might have for this is if you have a subscription model for a website. And if a user is required to pay for the service in order to be actually authenticated and logged in, then that acts as a paywall and 
all you would need to do to have a basic version of, of checking on what they are able to see is use this login required decorator. It would be an appropriate gate to keep out people who have not paid or, or who are not trialing on your site, and it would be a great tool for acting as an authorization guard. There are some other Boolean values on the user model that you can use. One of them we've already briefly mentioned is the isStaff Boolean, which decides whether a user is considered a staff member or not. And as I said earlier, this is used for the Django admin site and is what allows them to log in or not. There's also a staff member required decorator that you can use as well. And this is if you want to add extra views on top of the admin and don't want to write some special logic to check for the isStaff attribute. The other Boolean that is of note is called isSuperUser. And isSuperUser is a special flag for the person with SuperUser access. And there should be ideally very, very few of these people in your system at all. The SuperUser can do basically anything. So you should need to be really careful of these. But it is possible if you wanted to have a super special view to make a view that only the super user can view. And in order to do that, you can use something called the user passes test decorator. The user passes test decorator can accept any sort of function. And as long as that function returns a Boolean, it can determine if someone should get it into the site or not. So let's talk through a code example so that we can see this in action or hear this in action, I suppose. We're gonna look at a views file and this would be in application views or somewhere like that. And we're going to import a handful of things here. The first to import is from Django contrib admin views decorators. That's quite a mouthful. So as a reminder, there are show notes for each episode that you can check with your podcast player. So from Django contrib admin views decorators import staff member required. The next import is from Django contrib auth decorators import user passes test. And finally, from django.http import HTTP response. So our first view example is going to use that staff member required decorator. So at staff member required, and then def and the function name, which I'm calling a staff view, which will retake a request object as function based views do. And it's going to return an HTTP response that says, you are a user with staff level permission, just to prove that that's what that person can see. The next view that we're going to use is one that is going to require a helper function to go along with it. So let's define the helper function first. And so, so it makes it really clear. And so we've got a function that's called check super user. And it takes as its argument, a user instance. And it's going to return a Boolean. And in this case, it's going to return user.isSuperUser. So our function view takes a decorator, and the decorator is at user passes test. And the argument to that decorator is the function that we just created, the check use super user function. It is not a call to that, just to be very clear, but it is just the function itself, because remember. Python has first-class functions, so they can be treated as things can be, that can be passed around. Our function view itself is going to be called special view, and it's going to take a request object like normal, and will return an HTTP response that just says super special response. So what did that thing do? 
user passes test works by taking a callable. The callable is expected to be passed a user instance and is expected to return some kind of Boolean. If the Boolean is true, then the view is permitted and user can proceed with it. And if the Boolean is false, the user will be rejected. So we've talked about user attributes that drive permissions, but there are other permissions that are in there, namely permissions. And that's the first thing that we're going to look at. Django has a very flexible permission system that can give you extra capabilities. And these permissions are different type of model called the permission model that lives at Django contrib auth models. And permissions get some stuff auto-created in circumstances, and they can also be manually created for special purposes. Whenever you create a new model and are using the auth system, Django will create a handful of permissions for you. And these permissions basically correspond to the CRUD operations that we've talked about in the past. So create, read, update, and delete. So if we had, for example, a pizzas app, and we had a a topping model in that pizza's app for a pizza topping, then Django would automatically create the following four permissions. There would be a pizzas.add underscore topping for our create permission. There would be a pizzas.view underscore topping for our read operation. There would be a pizzas.change topping for our update operations. And finally, there's a pizzas.delete topping for our delete operations. Why do we get these by default? Well, the biggest reason is that this is what the admin uses to determine what people are allowed to do on the admin if they have staff level permissions. Because if you're a staff level person in your site, it doesn't mean you're allowed to do much in the admin in its default configuration. In fact, to be safe, you're not allowed to do anything unless you explicitly have permissions granted to you. The only user that can do anything on the admin is the super user, which is why you need to be extra careful with creating super users on your account because they can see the whole world. But staff level users must have permissions given to them through some scheme in your, your operation, whether that be uh, scripts or somebody going in there and manually clicking some buttons and giving people different permissions. Either is an appropriate approach, but there's some need to have permissions defined for a user and associated with a user. The way that a user with staff level permissions can access the Django admin is using a many-to-many -many field on the user model called user permissions. And user permissions is, as you might imagine, is an association between the user record and the permission that that user is supposed to have. So let's continue with our example of a pizzas app and let's think about a chef. Our chef has the domain knowledge to know what kind of pizzas we want to add to our application. What kind of things should we be offering to our customers? So the chef, if the chef decides we want pineapple, the chef gets to declare that there's a pineapple topping. But in order for the chef to do that in the admin, the chef needs certain permissions. And so we would need to grant something like the add topping permission and the pizza's view topping permission, and probably also the pizza's change topping permission in order to give the chef all of the tools that he or she needs 
in order to do everything related to pizzas and pizza toppings. But at the same time, while we trust Chef to decide on pineapple or not, maybe you think that's crazy that pineapple would be a topping. This is this is Chef's choice, remember? The things that we don't want Chef to do is mess with the orders. So a chef should not be allowed to go into the admin site and start randomly deleting orders that people made in, in the past history. Because that's going to really make your business people on your team pretty upset. And it should make a lot of people upset. You don't want to delete that kind of history. Customers might even care about that stuff. Who knows? So we want to grant the chef the right permissions to work with toppings and get the stuff that, they, that he or she needs to do. At the same time, not grant other permissions. So let's take a little example now, something that you might run from a management shell uh, on your server or other techniques of adding this, but you can imagine that this code is run somewhere appropriately to grant your chef permissions. So we're going to have to import a few things again. So we're going to go from Django contrib auth models. We're going to import both the permission model and the user model. And then this is where we're also going to bring in the content types system. And I'll, I'll touch on that briefly in a minute, but for the moment, from Django contrib content types dot models, import content type. And then from our pizzas models, import our topping model. So our first line in this example is to get the content type. And the content type is a system that is essentially identifying each model in a unique way. And it does that because you don't necessarily want to have, say, a foreign key to a topping and a permission. You don't want that direct linking. And so the content type system kind of acts as this layer of indirection that allows content types to be given numeric identifiers and records in the database. And so the permission model only cares about storing the content type. It doesn't care what the model itself is. It just deals with content types. It knows how to work with those. So knowing that the content type is a mapping to certain models, we need to get the content type out. And so our first line is content type.objects.getForModel topping. And that's going to be stored in a variable that I'm calling content type. The second line, in order to get the proper permission, is permission.objects.get and content type equal content type and code name is equal to a string of add underscore topping. So this is the second half in the identifier that we've been talking about so far. So in the full name of the permission, as you might see it, is something like pizzas.addTopping, but the code name is the second half of that. And we're going to store the instance of that into a variable called permission. And in this example, I'm picking a random ID, but we're using 42 as the chef's user ID. So we're saying, chef equal user.objects.get id equal 42. And that'll get us our chef instance. And finally, to close the loop and, and give our chef permission to add toppings, we say chef.userpermissions.add permission. And there, at that point, the chef would have permission to add pineapple, whether you like it or not. So that's adding an individual, an individual permission. That's going to be painful, especially if your team grows. So imagine that you are successful beyond your wildest expectations, and suddenly you have a lot of users and you have a lot of support requests. And your, your business is profitable and you're able to hire a bunch of people to help with your support system. 
to make sure that your customers are satisfied with what you're delivering. It would be super painful if you had to go through the example that I listed above for every single support person. And what would happen if you ever needed to change the permission that support team members needed? Then you'd have to remember to do it for every single support person. That whole concept is really painful to even think of doing that individually. Thankfully, the auth system and the permission system has got us covered here. So Django has a model which is called a group. And the group is basically a bucket for a set of permissions. And it's supposed to be used as a tool to associate a set of permissions with a set of users. So you could create a support team group, for instance, and then create a set of permissions that that support team group has and add individual users to the support team group. And because the users are part of that group, they inherit the permissions that are defined to that group. So the users groups are tracked with another many-to-many -many field, which is called groups. So we have another example now. We're going to take from Django contrib auth models. This time we're going to import group and user. And we're going to do support team equal group.objects.get and the name with a string value of support team. Our second line in this example is support Sally, and it's user.objects.get username equal string value of Sally. So we are assuming that our username we know is somebody who is on the support team. Maybe Sally has just joined the team. And our final line is support Sally.groups.add support team. And that makes the association such that the user, Sally in this case, as permissions that come from the support team. So those are ways to interact with the built-in permissions and ways to assign those built-in permissions to users and assign them to groups so that you can manage permissions in your applications. But you can also make your own permissions. There's nothing stopping you from doing it. The permission model is just like any other model in Django. It happens to come from a Django contributed application, but you can create whatever you want. So we've got another example, and I'm going to skip the imports this time because they're in, in uh, previous examples that I've already verbalized. Again, show notes for the episode are available if you want to check this out. We're going to get our content type, and we're going to do content type.objects.getForModelPizza, and then we're going to create a new permission. And the permission is created by doing permission objects create, and we have to give it a code name, and we have to give it a name, and we have to give it a content type. I'm going to say the code name is can underscore bake. The name is can bake pizza. And the content type is the content type that we just pulled from our pizza model. And I'm going to assign this permission to our chef. So we're going to do the same fetching of the chef that we did earlier with chef equal user dot objects dot get ID equal 42. And then we're going to say chef dot user permissions dot add permission. So now we have given our ability and our permission to the chef to, to say that the chef, according to our system, can bake pizzas. And we can use that knowledge and check that as well. So there is a method on the user model anytime you want to check a permission. In order to check the permission, the method is called hasPerm. 
So if we fetch our chef object with user objects get ID equal 42, and then we have our chef record, we can say chef dot has perm and take give it a string value of pizzas dot can bake. And because we just assigned that permission a moment ago, that value should return true as a boolean. There's also a decorator to use if you don't want to get down to that granular level of calling has perm. There is a decorator for any view that you want to protect by a certain permission. We have another example. This is in our pizzas app this time. So pizzas views.py. And we're going to do from Django contrib auth decorators import permission required. And the permission required decorator takes a string argument and the string argument is the name of the permission that you want to check. So we have at permission required and then a string value of pizzas.can underscore bake. And then our view name is going to be called bake pizza, which will take a request and do whatever processing is appropriate in your system to actually bake a pizza. That'd be, I would love to see a Django app in the future that actually bakes a pizza, but uh, I don't know that we'll ever see it, but it at least is a, a cool thing to think through. And in this scenario, because the chef had that can bake permission, the chef can uh, interact with this view in, in our hyper futuristic pizza baking world and bake the pizza pie that you want to consume. So we know how to authenticate. We know how to deal with some authorization, but how do you actually get the user? How does that work? How does the user become accessible to you in your views and in the templates where you're a lot of your business logic interaction will live. I'm not suggesting and advocating for putting tons of business logic in your views, but at some point you need to be able to get the user in the view so you can pass it off to the business logic if you have it somewhere else. And where does that come from? Let's talk about that for a moment. The way we get the user in our views is from the authentication middleware. And again, I'm not really going to cover middleware in depth here, uh, but understand that for now, middleware is some chunk of code that executes before your view is really processed. And the middleware, in this case, the authentication middleware, has a single job. And its job is to add a user attribute to the request object that goes into the view. And by doing this, you now have a very clean interface for getting to your user in any of your views. So in a view, in a views file, application views.py, we're going to import Django HTTP response from Django.http, and we've got a view function named myView that takes a request argument. And here we're going to have a conditional in this view, and it's if request.user.isAuthenticated, then we're going to return an HTTP response with a string value of you are logged in. Else, the else branch of this will be another HTTP response that says hello guest. And you can see we were able to access the user pretty trivially by just going from the request object. The authentication middleware also is worth noting that it powers the decorators that we've talked about in this episode as well. So login required, user passes test, permission required. They all work by taking advantage of the user that is attached to the request object. So without the authentication middleware, none of those decorators would work in the way that we expect them to. What about templates? How do we get a user in our templates? This is another one where the configuration of Django makes this pretty, pretty great for you. We can use a context processor. And in fact, there is a context processor that's defined that uh, includes 
what you would need to get access to the user in your template. And that context processor is Django Contrib Auth Context Processors. And it's called Auth. And if you don't recall from our templates discussion, context processors work by taking the context that's about to be sent to the template's render and updating them, augmenting them with whatever extra data that needs to be added. In this case, it's going to take the user attribute. And a context processor's interface is it's, rece it's receiving a request object and it returns a dictionary. So the fact that the context processor works is a side effect of having authentication middleware work because the authentication middleware is going to add the user attribute to your request and by the time it gets to the context processor, the context processor auth is going to receive the request object and it's going to return a dictionary that is nothing more than a key of user and the value side of that dictionary is request.user. There's a bit more to the implementation that I'm glossing over, but I've got a link to the source code in the show notes so you can check that out and see what I'm leaving behind. It's, it's nothing really worth highlighting too much, but there are some differences that I can't just uh, deceive you and say that it's so simple as to be a one-liner. As, as many with many things in code, there's often some complexity that is, is kind of hidden below the surface. Now we've talked about how auth and users can be used in your templates and views as well. And that brings us to the end of this particular episode. We've taken a big look at the auth system. We talked about how auth is set up or how it's not set up in your case if you used our project. We've talked about the user model and where it stores data. We've talked about the authenticate function and how it works with authentication backends and all of that stuff. We've looked at Django's built-in views for making a login system work. And we have talked about authorization and how your users can have the appropriate levels of control. Finally, we ended our conversation with a discussion of how to use users in views and templates. On the next episode of Django Riffs, we're going to discuss middleware and what middleware is in Django. And as the name implies, middleware is, is some code that exists in the middle of the request response process. I'm going to leave that as a bit of a mystery, but we will dive into all of those details next time. Full show notes for this episode are available at www.mattlayman.com slash Django Riffs slash 10. Thanks for listening to this episode of Django Riffs. You can follow the show at DjangoRiffs.com. If you have something to share, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is MBLayman, or follow the Django Riffs handle to keep up with the show. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate or review on iTunes, Spotify, or from wherever you listen to podcasts. Your rating will help others discover the podcast, and I would be very grateful. Django Riffs is supported by listeners like you. If you can contribute financially to cover hosting and production costs, please check out my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash mblayman. The theme music for Django Riffs is Open Roads, used with permission from Purple Planet Music. I hope you'll join us next time to learn more about Django. Take care.